Mud Stories, Episode 3. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place what I've come to learn, yes, from Christ is that you can be sad and you can be well at the same time because He is with you and He knows your story. And He's not asking you to be happy. He's not asking you to jump up and down and you know, be delighted in your grief. But it can transcend that and be a place of real assurance where He's the rock that you can cling to when you feel like you're drowning in the ocean. Hey friends, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Welcome to Mud Stories. Today I'm talking to Lisa Jo Baker from lisajobaker.com, and I am so thankful you took time out of your day to join me here and I think you're going to agree. Lisa Jo has three kids, a hamster called G-Force, and sincerely believes motherhood should come with its own superhero cape since most days she can't find her car keys, her cell phone, or her mind. I can so relate. She has said that many mornings she wants to quit motherhood before she's even eaten her Cheerios for the day, and yet is convinced it's supposed to be like that since our God is never done teaching us how to become less of us and more of Him. She's the social media manager for Dayspring, a subsidiary of Hallmark, and the community manager of their beautiful site called Encourage.me, home for the hearts of women. She's a connector and cheerleader of mamas and believes we are almighty because we mother. Well, I have to tell you, Lisa Jo is one of the most generous and encouraging women that I have personally had the privilege to meet online. And not only did I meet her online, but we've become real life friends and I'm so thankful for her and so very excited to share her words with you today. So in this episode, we talk about her pivotal coming of age story, her mother's leukemia diagnosis when she was 16, and all that happens to a girl when she's left without a mom to show her how to grow up to be a woman. We discuss how the scars of suffering make us into who we are, how grief is a universal process, and how to live our lives in light of eternity. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Enjoy. Lisa Joe, welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. I can't tell you how happy it makes me to be talking to you today, my friend. I know you're one of my favorite people to talk to, so I you just tell me where to be and I will always show up to chat to you, Jackie. Well, you've been such an example to me as a writer, you know, as a connector of all of us on the online space. <laughs> I I love um how I found you three years ago, and I don't even know if I've told you this story, but No, I'd love to hear it though. I'm always curious how we find each other online. I know. Well, I found this inspiring and engaging community called Encourage.me. Oh, yeah. I've heard of them. <laughs> yes, you have. At the time, you were the social media manager, which I yeah. think you still are, yes? Yep. Yep. So through there, I cl- I found your personal website, and I clicked over there, and I discovered this beautiful community of people who were gathering each Friday to write for just five minutes on a one-word prompt you gave every Thursday night. That's right. Five-minute Friday community. It's the 
the writing flash mob. Yes. So I began to venture out and dare to write with you all each week. I would look on Thursday, I would look for the word, and then I would set my little timer. But writing was so hard for me because I'm a science girl. My college degrees in biology and nursing. And so writing wasn't really something I was so comfortable with. <laughs> I was, I'm such a rules girl. I was like, I know. What? but yes, I, I still just write for five minutes on a timer. Well, I, I have to confess. And I did confess when I finally met you face to face at that first relevant conference. confesses to me about this. Yes. But I felt I'm such a rule follower, too, that I wanted to go by the rules. So I set the timer. But then what I would do is I would get all nervous that the time was going by. So I'd pause the timer and then I'd think for a few minutes and then I'd restart it. So really, technically, I only wrote for five minutes, but it ended up being a lot more than five minutes. Wow, that is the ultimate rule follower for five minutes. I know. So lately I've gotten over it. I mean, it's been three years. So then I just write a disclaimer (laughs) at the bottom, like this so was not five minutes, but I just wanted to be a part of it with you all. Uh, How have we been doing it this long? That's so crazy. I know. I know. It is crazy. But what a bond we all have over there at that little space. I mean, I met so many people there just visiting their blogs and just sharing in comments. And, you know, it's been a beautiful thing how now, three years later, we're not just online friends. We've become in real life friends. And you are one of those people who's become my in real life friend. And I just can't be more grateful for who you are and how you encourage all of us with your words. So thank you. Well, I feel the same about you. I'm always, the one thing I resent the internet for is how it introduces me to all these amazing people who don't live in my neighborhood, you know? I know. It seems unfair. Right? I know. It's those days where you just wish, man, I wish I could just go take her an egg salad sandwich and a big glass iced tea and maybe mm-hmm. eat a cupcake and we can just well, hug and commiserate, nice. right? I know. Just hang out on the front steps and watch our kids play. Yes, that would be awesome. I know. It would. Well, one of these days I'm going to visit you where you are it might take 10 years but I'll get there (laughs) (laughs) the door is open in the meantime we'll meet at awesome conferences and see each other there well I know as we talk about mud stories in our lives times of trials suffering adversity for you in your life life hasn't always been easy and take us back to the beginning share with us how your time in the mud began mine mine really happened for me during a a really pivotal coming of age time in my life. So when I was, I grew up in this great Christian home, both parents and two brothers and um, part of a wonderful church community that we loved and felt rooted and grounded. I went, you know, all my friends were in the same elementary school and we were all in the same high school. So just a lot of continuity and consistency in my life. And, um, but then when I was 16, I found out one night at youth group, I saw my dad crying, talking to one of the elders in our church And on our way home, he told us in the car that my mom had leukemia Mm -hmm. and they had found um, in her blood test results. And he just, in in that moment, I mean, it's so clear to me, like a before and after stripe across my life. My life changed from one story to a completely different story. And um, from 16 to 18, my mom was away from us in hospital or in hospice. And so I never had a mother to really lead me on this journey into womanhood. And a week to the day after my 18th birthday, she died. 
So it is amazing. You know, that's a long time ago now. Um, that was when I was 18 and I'm going to be 40 this year. So it's more than 20 years ago. I'm, I'm mm. sort of astounded every time I think how much time has passed. And yet those are the defining stories, right, for who we yes. are, for how God works in our life, for, for who we become. So really that, that was the one for me, the loss of my mom. And it took a long time. She was sick a long time. And um, it took a long time to walk through that with her and then a long time to recover. And I think there's some things you don't ever recover from, from having someone you love die. Never. I mean, there are some anniversaries that just um, make it seem (laughs) not like it's more distant, but rather that it's closer. So that with each new child, there's a whole new huge milestone that she's missing out on. So I don't think you ever outgrow those losses. Those scars go with you all the way to the other end of the journey. Yeah. And they definitely feel like scars. I mean, they're, they're, they heal, I would imagine to some degree, but they're always present. You can always see them. And sometimes they get hot and itchy and you pick at them and then they bleed and then they heal over Mm -hmm. again. And so, yes, I think you carry them very, very close to you and you can go for years, not noticing them. And then you have a daughter of your own, for example, and um, all those old scars crack back open again, and you realize there are places that haven't healed yet and that you have to work on all over again. And that is the process of grief, isn't it? You know, it's like a, like an onion or like waves. You know, there's layers. You think you get through one, and then another one comes. And Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, thank goodness that God is in the business of making all things and all people new. Because I think for him, death is never the end of the story. It's never been his intention for us. He is a God who speaks life into our lives. But um, it's been a long journey for me with him to understand that life is what he has always had for me and not this label of the girl with the dead mother. Right, because in those moments when you are in those pits of grieving, it's hard to see that there is going to be hope that could come out of such an experience, I would imagine. Yeah, I think so. You just feel lost. And when you're a teenage girl, you're so awkward anyway. You know, like, it's the most awkward stage. And I was really, really skinny, like not in a good way. And I wasn't unhealthy. I didn't have, you know, bulimia or anorexia. I was just a really skinny kid, Yeah, like all angles and bones. And, you know, when you want to have curves, when you're that age. And I didn't have any. And oh, my gosh, the kids used to tease me and call me. I looked like a f- two fleas on toothpicks. You know, I was so skinny and um, I so insecure in my own self. And here I was like trying to grow into my own body. And my mom was disappearing out of hers. And so there really wasn't someone to lead me on that journey into what it meant to grow up, to be a woman. Like, what does that look like? You know, no one to talk to about dating and boys and sex and marriage and childbirth. Like just, there's just this huge black hole in my life. So, you know, teenagers are awkward anyway. And then you add conversations about cancer into the mix. And it's just mm. it's not a really great coming of age story. <laughs> Tell me how that worked. You said she was away from you. Was mm. there not a hospital nearby or was, was she just so sick that she wasn't able to come home intermittently in during those years? Yeah, I think that, you know, probably cancer treatments, especially for leukemia, have changed a lot in the last nearly two decades. But at the time, yes, she was too sick. And the hospital that was where the specialist was to treat her, we lived in the city. So I'm from South Africa originally, and we lived in the city of Pretoria. 
And the hospital where she had to receive treatment was about 45 minutes to an hour away from us in Johannesburg. Mm. And um, at 16 in South Africa, you don't have a driver's license yet. So I couldn't go through to see her. We had to wait for my dad to be able to take us. And he would take all three of us through every other night to go and visit her. So she was in a highly sterile environment. We had to wear um, booties over our shoes and face masks and sterilize our hands in order to interact with her. So it didn't feel like a normal mom-daughter moment. You know, it's all this week's worth of living you're trying to cram into a couple of hours. And, um, And then when we left, I remember driving out of the parking lot in the the hospital she was in is massive, you know, it's beautiful hospital with these um, windows that are like mirrors, you know, that glass. Yeah, we have those. Exact, exactly. I never know how to describe them. I don't know what that's called. They're reflective. Like, They're reflective Yes, yeah, reflective, yeah. right? And so it was right there on the Johannesburg skyline. It's just beautiful. And she, so we would stop our car on the way out of the parking lot so we could see, you know, facing toward her window. And she would actually turn her light on and off so we could see it blinking. Mm. So we knew which room was hers. So we couldn't see her, but we knew which room was hers. And then we would just like dance like crazy people in the parking lot so she could make us out. So my dad would have like the car parked and the lights flashing in the car. I'll be doing the do-si-do around the car. So she could see us, but of course, what she couldn't see is we would all be crying because it was just, it was mm-hmm. just so awful. It's so awful. This is not how God intends families mm-hmm. to be. Just felt broken on every level. And so um, we would visit her there. And then for a while, she was transferred to a hospice back in Pretoria where we were. And then she actually came home for a couple of weeks, but it just went really badly. And she ended mm-hmm. up going back into hospice until she passed away. So really from age 16 to 18, I don't have any memory of her living in the house with us. Were your brother, are your brothers younger than you? Yeah, they're younger than me. So okay. it's hard talking to them. And as a mom myself, it's scary because they have no memory of her. So mm-hmm. my, my little, my youngest brother was 11 when she died. And he really has no memory. Like his memories of her are all derived from stories that we've told about her. Yeah. So I think, you know, each of us has our own journey that we've lived and what it looks like to have that mom hole in your life and Mm -hmm. how it manifests for us each differently. But for me, it's one of those things that just when you think you're you've dealt with it, it, it comes back. Yeah. You know, it's just always there. Well, there's new depths of it that you experience based yeah. on what's going on in life, right? Over and over again. And it's funny because you normalize for a while. And I think it's the coping system of human beings. Mm-hmm. We get, we just adapt to that thing that's missing so much so that we don't even think about it anymore. So for me, when I became a daughter-in-law and I had a mother-in-law here in the States, it was an adjustment to to see what it was like to have to invite somebody else back into my life when I wasn't used to having a mother person, you know, right? to talk to you. So it, it's a strange journey, I think. But I think there are so many women who have to make the journey from girlhood to adulthood, you know, without a mother, whether she's absent yes. because she died like minded, or if she's just she chooses to be emotionally unavailable, or she's actually left or there's been divorce, or she's mm-hmm. abusive. I mean, I think the story is one that many of us have to try to make sense of. And navigating that is such a challenge and a painful one at times, especially on days like Mother's Day where everybody's Mm -hmm. celebrating. And um, yeah, I've found that the big days like Mother's Day, you you see them coming so you can prepare yourself for it. Um, And you know it's going to happen and you have to be ready. It's the other days that sometimes are so unexpected. Like mm-hmm. I guess, and I have such a heart for women that are listening that are maybe without a mom or you know, distanced from their mom. I mean, I remember in college 
girlfriends getting care packages from their mom, you know, like only a mom can pack it with like cookies and nail stuff. And it it would be when she was opening that package that it would hit me like, oh, wow, like this happens to some people, you know, like I didn't even know that was something that could happen for you because I didn't have a mom to do it for me. Or, you know, as a grown woman in looking at how I parent my own kids and in my tough moments, then you hear stories from other women who are like, well, then my mom just came over for you know, an evening or a week or, and it's just so strange because you don't, you don't, ex, you don't, you don't even have a map for that. You don't know what that would look like. And it so, hits you by surprise. Totally by yeah. surprise. You know, I was listening to um, Shauna Nequist speak. Um, she did a presentation at the Q gathering in Nashville and she did this wonderful talk called what my mother taught me. And maybe you've seen it. It's beautiful and it's online. You can watch it. And, um, I sat watching it, and this was just last week, and I was just crying watching it. And I realized as she talked, she was mapping out the exact same years as mine because she said she was watching her mom go through this transition of really finding herself. And Shauna was 15 at the time, and I was 15, 16 when my mom got sick. And for my rest of my adult life, didn't have a mom, whereas Shauna was being deeply shaped by her mom, and I was being shaped by the absence of a mom. And so it's very strange how these moments where you feel like you've climbed out of the mud and you're making your life and you're just fine and suddenly you look down at your boots and you're still covered in it, you know. So thank goodness the Holy Spirit doesn't give up on us and he's not surprised because I feel like more than anything in my life, and he has put significant women in my life, but more than anything, the Holy Spirit has mothered me Hmm. these decades. I mean, he just has. And so... That's my encouragement to anybody listening, because these holes are so deep that even when God puts remarkable women in your life, they can't fill them for you. You know, he really has to step into that deep hurt and be the one who lays his life down for you over and over again to love you out of it. Um, Mm. And I, I have found it to be true that he has. And he meets us there. Well, and you were talking about how when you look down and you still see mud, Mm. Even though you thought you'd climbed out, it reminds me, I grew up on a 21 acre orchard of walnuts and there was a lot of irrigating, a lot of mud (laughs) (laughs) growing up. And I used to love to tramp through the mud. But one thing I I have a visual of is when my dad's boots would have been in the mud in the orchard and then he would set them by the front door and they would dry off. And, you know, the big clods of mud would Mm -hmm. fall off as they dried. But but even when he'd try to spiff them up, there would still be that residue of dry dust left, mm. even though they looked like they yeah. were somewhat clean compared to what, what they had been. And yeah. I think of our pain like that, that mm. there's still that residue there because it makes us into who we are becoming. It changes us forever. And um, don't you think it gives us more compassion for others who are struggling and Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it gives us, I mean, it's like learning a new language grief is, you know, you're actually able to talk to people then who've walked through it. And um, grief is very unique to the to the loss you've suffered, but it's also universal. And there's so many parts of it that feel the same. And so when somebody else has experienced a loss like that, you don't have to feel nearly as uncomfortable talking to them because you feel like you actually you actually understand, you know, you're not lost in translation because sometimes grief can be so separating. Well, and I think when we speak it out loud, 
the power of it over our lives becomes less in a sense, being able to identify with others who are walking through something similar or have been where we're walking now. There's Mm -hmm. comfort in that. Yeah, I think so. I'm curious, as your mom was separated from you, have you been able to get feedback from your dad about what her process was on her end? Because I imagine being separated from your kids and being the one who's walking through the dying process can't be easy. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, you know, there's so many things I'm going to ask her one day. Um, but part of it is I, I do wish she had talked more to me to find out what I was thinking and feeling. I don't think we had a lot of those conversations, but she did um, write me one of my favorite letters where she talked about this, this idea of being what she called kingdom kids and that her cancer was a way of God saying to our family, wake up, you know, there's Mm -hmm. more to life than just school and sports and, you know, whatever comes next on the to-do list, there's eternity and where are you going to spend it? And I remember, um, one of, one of the conversations I had with her right near the end before she died, she's just so tiny, like this tiny little shriveled woman <laughs> in her bed. And I just remember she had this little pink scarf she'd wrap around her head. And um, it was, I think I gleaned a lot just from watching how she talked to God, because I remember her praying toward the end of her life. And when she talked to God, I mean, I was 18 and I could tell it was nearly 18, but even as a teenager could really sense God was in the room. Like she spoke to him and his presence was there. And uh, she, the verse that she really was the one that I think spoke to me more than any other that's actually on her tombstone is from 2 Corinthians 4, 16. And it says, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. And I remember in her letter, she had Mm. written in parentheticals, like my hair. (laughs) And then it says, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. That is how she described her leukemia. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. eternal. And she said to me one day, she said she felt like God must trust her so much to trust her with this burden of being sick, that he trusted her to to see it through, to run the race hard, you know, not that he gave it to her, not that he would call it good, but that in this fallen world, he trusted her to run hard the race to the end. And um, that was the picture I got from her. And I, I mean, there are so many things that I'm a mom, so I just know it's impossible to get it all right. But there's so many things I wish she had talked to me about, you yeah. know, many. <laughs> I, I <wish> yeah. <laughs> but I definitely got from her the sense that she, she was going to follow him and run this race hard to the end, no matter what it took. And what an example to have laid out for you in your formative years. I mean, maybe even if you hadn't realized that that's what you were observing. Yeah. I know as we grow older, we look back and are able to see pieces of the picture more clearly. And yeah, as definitely. as a mom now, I'm sure you're, I mean, I think as a mom, I can say my kids are going to do more what I do than yeah. what I tell them definitely. to do. Yes, exactly. So in a sense, motherhood becomes a process of dying to our own selves and really 
surrender to conform, allowing God to form our hearts after his so that they can become more like him in the process too. Yeah, I agree. And you know, I'm going to be 40 this year. And Yay for age, 40. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the age she was when she was diagnosed with leukemia and she died at 42. And so it's the first time I truly grasp how young she was. Because at the time, I'm like, well, you know, she was old. And people would be like, she was so young. And I'd be like, really? Was she? <laughs> what teenager thinks 40 is young? But I look at that now and I realize, my gosh, you know, what if I knew that I would have two years left? Like, what if that's all I had? <laughs> what would I want them to look like? So in that sense... It certainly feels like a challenge to think about what are you, what are you going to do? You know, if we live our lives not just for tomorrow or next week or this summer vacation, but really, like she said, in the light of eternity, what do I need to accomplish today? Mm, so good. Well, Lisa Joe, you've written this book, a book called "Surprised by Motherhood: Everything I Never Expected About Being a Mom," and. I, if if you all listening have not read this book, you need to go out today and get this book. I'm telling you, this book I read over the course of two days. I could not put it down. It was just a weaving of words that was with such beauty and meaning that was so deep for me. It met me in real places. So if you are a mom, you've been a mom, you want to be a mom, you have a mom, <laughs> you need to read this book. And so... So, Lisa Joe, thank you for this book. <laughs> You've been my biggest encourager oh. sending this book into the world. Yes. Well, this book, I for those of you who might not know, I am a labor and delivery nurse. And so I go to the hospital two days a week and I take care of moms who are expecting to deliver their baby that day. And I was in towards the end of reading Lisa Joe's book that day that I showed up at work. It was a Saturday. And, you know, you never know the assignment you're going to get in labor and delivery. And most of the time, labor and delivery is a really happy place because I tell people, well, I go to birthday parties all day long. You know, babies are born and it's a happy time. But this particular day, I showed up at work and my patient um, had a situation where her baby was not going to survive. And she was in labor. And so the morning had been very weary taking care of her. I found out the news from the radiology report before she did. And then I was with her in the room when the doctor was letting her know that her baby would not be able to survive after it was born that day. And it's just always such a heavy weight to know information before a patient, information that's going to change their life forever. And, and yet, what a gift to be able to walk through such an intimate moment with a woman. But I stole away finally around two in the afternoon at lunch, and I began to read chapter 12. And I just wanted to read this little this little spot because your words met me in such a real way that afternoon in a, in a real painful place that I was living with this woman. You say on page 166, but God, God knits babies together in the secret dark and we can plan all we like, but we have no actual control over the outcomes. We bear witness to the miracle and we women, we also bear it in our own bodies, but we certainly don't dictate it. Small wonder that to get a glimpse into their secret world, we need to go into darkened rooms lit only by a flickering screen to read what we can of who they are becoming. 
but God already knows. He already delights, and He has already been singing over them in the dark. Secret hours of spinning life out of strands of DNA, an artist at work, creating and shaping. And I read that that day at lunch, and I knew what I needed to do. So I went and I got the ultrasound machine, and I went to her room, and I didn't have a doctor's order or anything, but I do ultrasound appointments on some days that I'm there, and so I'm certified in OB ultrasound. So I decided if I was a mom and I knew my baby was not going to survive birth, that I would love to have one last picture of my baby. And so I went to that room and I asked her and her husband, may I have permission to take a picture for you? And so I did. I used that machine and we looked into those dark secret places where God weaves and her baby's heart was still beating and she was in labor. It was just 19 weeks old though, so the baby wasn't going to be able to breathe when it was born. But I took pictures and I handed it to that mom and dad and their grateful tears rolled down their cheeks and I started to cry with them too. And it was just such a poignant moment because the next pictures I would be taking, which I did before I left that night, would be of their baby as it was born in the little cap and blanket and anyway they held their baby and it was a it was a sad day but it was a good day and your words met me in a real way and helped make a difference in the life of that family so thank you for being faithful to write those words in the cracks of your day over that year you wrote this book and um tell me about how you you tell in the end of the book how the birth of Zoe your daughter has mm-hmm has really redeemed some of the loss, how God has met you and, and showed you his goodness in that. Mm. Well, um, Oh, that story you share is so beautiful. Every time I hear it, I'm so moved by a God who makes all things new, you know, he, all things, yeah. he uses my broken pieces to tell a story so you can help someone who's broken. You know, he is in the business of wasting nothing and we don't know what the story of that lost baby's life will still continue here, you know, how it impacts his parents and their family and friends. And so for me, I thought my mom dying was the end of my story, you know, the the end of that piece of my story. And she died at such a pivotal time in my development that I really lost a large part of the joy of being a girl Mm. and of being, you know, able to grow up to be a woman and a mom. And I just sort of shut down that part of me and wasn't interested and said I was going to grow up and you know, I, wanted, I wanted to be known for my degree and not for my uterus. You know, I wanted to <laughs> produce great work, not great children. And I felt lost for many years. And um, God is so patient and so tender. And he loves us for more than our ability to have children. Mm-hmm. You know, the children part is always a gift. It's not something we're entitled to or we get to demand. It's a gift from him, but he loves us as is. And he loved me a long time and brought a wonderful man into my life who loved me that way too and um, redeemed so much of my story that we did end up having children. And my third was a girl. We had had two boys and then I found out I was pregnant with a daughter and I was horrified. I mean, I was just flat out horrified. I felt like I didn't know how to be a mom to a girl I felt ill-equipped. I didn't own anything pink. I didn't speak girl. I was terrified that I was going to get it wrong. I only have brothers. 
And um, what's interesting to discover is that I found out I was pregnant with Zoe, um, my third child after having two boys, um, on the day of my 36th birthday, which was 18 years almost to the day since my mom had died. And what felt like had always been an anniversary of death, where I felt like there had been death spoken into my life and sort of a what felt like a curse over my motherhood. On that day, I felt like I really heard Jesus speak life, to say he is a God of life. He has come that we might have life and life to the full. He's not a God of death. And what's interesting is we then found out weeks later that we were having a girl, and the Greek word for life is Zoe, which is why that's her name. Hmm. And in loving Zoe and becoming her mom, it was like God let me step into the shoes of my own mom and get to have her perspective on how she loved me. So all those lost years and lost memories, I have felt like I keep unpacking them with Zoe every day because I'm like, oh, she would have seen me do this. Oh, I would have done that. Oh, she would have twirled me in my ballet skirt, you know. Yes. All these moments recaptured and rediscovered and made new again. And so it had to be a girl all along. <laughs> so I was so horrified at the thought of being a mom to a girl. Of course, it's a girl who's the redemption story for me, my Zoe, and her middle name is Grace because everything from God is just a grace gift. gift. And children aren't supposed to be an obligation or an imposition or a requirement of womanhood. Instead, they are a gift because God invites women into the sacred, holy dark with him where he co-creates mm. with us. With and us. so all those years I felt like I grieved and lost you know, the joy of being a woman and not being able to connect with my mom Having a daughter of my own was like the Father God saying to me, see, it is good. You know, it is so good to be a girl. And so I look at her every day and she is my living Ebenezer for what he did in my life, how he took one of the darkest, bleakest periods and has given me a redemption story and a redemption daughter and the ability to talk to other people now who've walked through similar grief. And be able to say, I really do know, like, I really can just sit with you here and cry and we don't have to talk about it. I really do feel all the way to my bones what you're walking through right now. And you you can be sad and you can be well at the same time. Yes, yes, you can. It is well with my soul. That's the song we sang at her funeral. She had chosen it. She wanted those of us who were left behind to be able to sing it. And of course, it comes from that story of the woman whose son has died and she's coming to the prophet Elijah. And he says to her, mm -hmm. how are you? Is it well? And her first words to him are, it is well. It is well. And what what I've come to learn, yes, from Christ is that you can be sad and you can be well at the same time because he is with you and he knows your story. And he's not asking you to be happy. He's not asking you to jump up and down and you know, be delighted in your grief. But it can transcend that and be a place of real assurance where he's the rock that you can cling to when you feel like you're drowning in the ocean. Yeah. Oh, it is well because he is with you. And what would you say to that person who's grieving today or who's in the middle of that mud place? What, what suggestions might you offer to them through what you've experienced? Just that, like with all things, the body and spirit require time to heal. It's going to take a lot of time. And I know we want to feel better right away, but it's just okay to be sad for a while. And to the people around them, I want to say, don't rush them. Like, just 
sit with them in that grief because I know in the beginning there are a lot of people who show up who want to help you and love you but then they get tired of you being sad and they want you to move on already you know like over it now yeah and so the people in that place I want to say it's okay if you can't really it's okay it takes so much time we aren't built for separation we're built to be together we are creatures with an eternal soul we can't process the separation of death yeah. I just want to encourage you that it will slowly start to feel better, but it will take a lot of time and you will have unexpected moments where you're back in that really deep grief again. And it can feel profoundly lonely because people will tell you they know how they feel, but how you feel, but they can't take it away from you. You're the only one who can carry it. Well, and it's a it's a process, right? It's there's anger sometimes, yeah. and then there's profound sadness, and and you cycle through them. I would imagine. Yeah, over and over. And so, give yourself time and grieve in a way that that helps you. So, if for me, for example, you know, as an eighteen year old girl, it wasn't helpful for people to give me deep theological books <laughs> to read and tell me to just read my Bible or go to church. Like, right, right, not so helpful. <laughs> That didn't help me, you know, and it wasn't helpful when people commented on what I was wearing or what I should have been wearing or did I have enough deodorant on? Like, your body will sweat, you'll be stressed out, you won't wear the right clothes or say the right thing. There needs to be room for people to be awkward and uncomfortable without having to be put together a week or two later. I will say the only book that helped me ever in grief has been C.S. Lewis's Grief Observed. The journal, it's not even, it wasn't meant to be a book, which is why I think it's so real and raw and helpful. It was a journal that he kept after his wife died. Mm-hmm. So really, it's just his, his very honest processing. And I mean, he, here he is, one of the greatest theologians of our time. And he has this whole argument he goes through in the journal where he convinces himself that God is just a giant right. sadist, you know, that <laughs> this isn't a real God, that we've all been duped, that he's just this horrible sadist in the sky trying to mess with our lives. And when you're going through a deep grief, it's very comforting to know <laughs> that other believers have also really struggled with, you know, God answered to us, you know, answer for this terrible thing we're going through. So, yeah, and of course he then talks himself back around again. But yeah, it really, really helped me. And I could read it as a young girl. Yeah. You know, it's easy and accessible. And it's on my nightstand now. I'm going through it for the second time. And I, I love it so much because it's a short read. It's not really long. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it is short like a journal. Read. It's not super complex to understand his feelings and what he's mm-hmm articulating in his words. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lisa Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can we all find you online if if those listening want to track you down and check you yeah. out? Yeah. Stop by. It's <laughs> it's just the same everywhere. So it's just my name. It's Lisa Joe Baker. So it's L I S A J O B A K E R dot com. And on Twitter it's Lisa Joe Baker. And on Facebook it's facebook.com backslash so yeah come and you know you're not usually no. this heavy well, <laughs> you, and you write to moms you encourage mm-hmm. us with your words that our chaos is normal and we're not crazy that we're not crazy and that we're in it together and that our hard stories i think make us brave, brave moms. moms okay i hope you have a great day uh, I know. I only wish we had done this over tea in person is my only regret. I know. Someday. Someday, friend.
<laughs> someday soon. <laughs> okay. Have a great day. Thanks. Well, that's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lisa Joe as much as I did. And thank you so much for listening. I know there are so many things you could choose to be doing today, and yet you chose to be here with me listening to this podcast, and I just can't be more grateful. So don't forget, you can find the show notes and all the links mentioned in this episode over at mudstories.com or JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode three. And over there, please feel free to leave me any comments or questions or suggestions, either in the comment section of the post or by sending me a voicemail or an email message. I can't wait to hear from you. And also, I would be so grateful if you would head on over to iTunes and leave a rating or a review or even subscribe to the podcast because it's my understanding that this will make such a difference in helping others find this podcast so they can be encouraged too. So today, no matter where we've been, what we're facing, or what lies ahead, may we find a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day. I never in you, Mama, feel suppressed upon my mind. I pull the shame that leaves me a little bit blind. I cannot see beyond the blame, and I never will find a way out. And then I feel you next to me. You lift my head to see. Your strong arm reaches to me. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I never in you mother fails to press upon my that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you Ha, ha, ha.